Exercise doesn't have to be painful. Your diet doesn't need to be bland and boring. It's time to have less pain and move more and learn how to be better to yourself. Welcome to Pain-Free Day with your host, Joshua Cohen. In this program, you'll learn the pain-free way to eat, the pain-free way to exercise, and the pain-free way to live a better life. Now, here's Joshua Cohen. Welcome back to Pain-Free Lifestyle. I'm your host, Dr. Joshua Cohen. I'm here with Brett Jones, kettlebell master. Um, He's going to teach us how to do a kettlebell swing how to do the hip hinge, which is one of the most functional movements that we have. I love how Strong first describes it as an apex move of a, uh, pri- uh, sorry, a primal, primary move of an apex predator. And Absolutely. And I think that's a great way to describe it. Definitely. So Josh, thank you for the opportunity to be here, speak to you and your audience. Uh, you know, we've, we've worked together and I've tweaked your swing <sighs> for times. the better part of, uh, what's 2004, 2003? Yeah, yeah going so, on 15, if not 20 years. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so we've been at it a while. Um, and I think that, you know, having the opportunity to introduce people to the swing from a good foundation is going to be one of the things that we're going to focus on. So initially when we're talking about the swing, uh, what sets the foundation for it? What do we need to be able to do to know that we're going to be able to get into the good positions, handle the load that we're going to develop? And I'm gonna base that around three things. I wanna know you can touch your toes. I wanna know that you have a good leg raise. And I wanna know, what's the third one? Uh, I wanna know that you can do a good plank. So the toe touch, the leg raise, that sets the hip mobility so that I can get into my hinge effectively. But the plank sets the foundation for how I'm going to be at the finish of either a deadlift or a swing. I don't want to get blown backwards. I don't want to load my back at the top. I want to load the glutes and abs at the top. I love the saying of standing plank. Yes. So, yeah, I mean, you can picture me on the ground in a plank. Yep. Well, that's a swing. That's a deadlift. It's it's the same standing plank that we would bring from the ground. So first up, leg raise. So it's just a nice quick check of how the hip mobility, uh, what hip mobility we need for the swing or deadlift. So I'm gonna get down and uh, we'll take a quick look here. So if I get down. Wait, wait two seconds, because you didn't give me a signal. Oh, okay. So I'm gonna get down, we'll hit the leg raise here. So legs out, feet together, toes up, hands down, palms up. And I wanna be able to raise the leg so that the ankle is above my kneecap. Okay. Ideally, you can't even go past mid-thigh. But as long as I'm past the kneecap on that down leg with the raising leg, then I'm showing I have enough hip mobility. Not optimal, but I have enough to get into this hip hinge. Okay. Mm-hmm. So there's different stretches you could do with ankle circles, Uh, Sometimes people need to bend this down knee in order to really kind of reset where the pelvis is and be able to do those ankle circles, picture me with a strap, and work that about five or six directions, make progress, then straighten this leg down, see if you can do those same ankle circles with the stretch here, Uh, repeat on the other side, obviously, get to the point where you can clear mid-knee or mid uh, top of kneecap on the down leg. Okay, so that just kind of starts setting the foundation. Now, toe touch. So, as we come through the toe touch, what am I looking for? And everybody's gonna say, I can't touch my toes, my hamstrings are tight. Yes. Right? Maybe not. 
because the first thing you have to do to be able to toe touch is you need to have that posterior weight shift. See where my hips go? Yep. My hips go backwards. So that posterior weight shift lets my body know that I can go ahead and round down and get to my toes. If I don't posterior weight shift, my body says, hey, dummy, you're gonna fall. Yeah. You're gonna face plant. So, fires up the hamstrings, fires up the plantar flexors. Hey, 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 you're getting ready to fall, don't do that. You wanna test that at home? You just saw me touch my toes. <laughs> that's, my that's my toe touch if I have my butt up against a wall. Because oh, wow. I just stole that posterior weight shift. Okay. What am I gonna do when I deadlift and swing? I'm gonna posterior weight shift. Same movement. Same movement. I wanna know that you can sit into your hips and control your center of mass. Frees you up to do a lot, uh, both in the deadlift and the swing, but just athletically. Sure. Like, you can pretty much look at this position and tell that's an athletic position. That's, you know, and you're doing that move with pretty much everything. You know, yes. It's, it's involved in so many different motions. Absolutely. So we got our leg raise, we got our toe touch. Now, plank. That standing <laughs> plank that we, talk, we already talked about, that's the finish. Notice when I do my standing plank, I don't get shorter. Gotcha. Right? So how tall are you? Five eight, five nine on a good day. <laughs> let's 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 make it a good day, and uh, you're going to be five nine at the finish of your deadlift and swing. Gotcha. So that's one of the things kind of people get wrong is they'll finish their deadlift or swing. Gotcha. Instead of finishing their deadlift or swing. Gotcha. Straight line, ear to ankle, standing plank. So those are the foundational things. That's what's going to let you begin to get in position. But before we swing we need to deadlift. And so the deadlift is one of those things, um, people get excited to swing, yeah. so they skip it. They go right past the deadlift, and they're like, oh, I'm good, I'm gonna start swinging. Take time, master the deadlift. I have people come see me for sessions. I've been coaching kettlebells for about 20 years. I've never not been able to improve somebody's swing by improving their deadlift. It's the first thing I go to. And that's even for advanced practitioners. People that have been swinging a bell for years, I start with the deadlift. So I'm gonna bring this kettlebell in here. And so for a lot of people, when they start looking at something like the deadlift, they'll do this. Well, look at the gap. So what has to make up that distance when I'm not connected to my body, the back? Yeah. I've gotta push, I've gotta pull from my back from there. Yeah. I, there's, Yep. So I can see the whole So people get down here to deadlift and look at the gap. So now the only thing I can do to pick up from here uh, is to try to yank up with yeah. my back. And it looks painful. And it looks <laughs> painful, exactly. So one of the fabulous things about the kettlebell deadlift and one of the reasons I'm a fan of starting everyone's deadlifting journey with the kettlebell is I can put my center of mass over that center of mass. Gotcha. So I can actually step forward so that bell is now hidden to the folks at home. It's in between my ankles. And now, as I hinge to go down for the bell, my center of mass is over that center of mass. Anytime I can line up those centers of mass, I have a safer, stronger, more effective movement. The further disconnected I am from that center of mass, the worse it is. 
you know, for every few inches you hold a weight away from you, basically 10 pounds at arm's length is 100 pounds to your back. It's a physics. Yeah. You know, it's a farther away it is from a hinge, it's, you know, the more stress it puts on right. the hinge. Right, the, the leverage changes. <laughs> so, a uh, couple of things here. Number one, I want to get into this athletic position, this deadlift position. My shins are slightly forward, my toes are out. We'll talk about that more here in just a minute. But I've sit into this shoulder above hip, hip above knee. So if my hips go below my knees, I squatted. And if my shoulders are even with my hips, then I just leaned over from my torso like those, do you remember those old drinky birds? Yeah, exactly. Yeah, young people, Google. Uh, so, you know, you'll get those drinky bird swings. You'll feel it a lot in your hamstrings, um, but it's not that athletic hinge that we're looking for. Okay. I'm actually thinking vertical leap. Gotcha. If I was gonna vertical leap, I would hinge and I would pop. That's my swing. That's why swings are so fabulous from an athletic standpoint. So, a couple of things. Foot position. I need a foot position that optimizes your hip so you don't have to move from your back. Because if your hip stops, you're going to move from your back. Yeah. Bad deal, right? We don't want to do that. We want to try to maintain as stable lumbar spine as possible. So one of the ways I do that is I optimize my hip position. So the way I'm going to do that is I'm going to start with my feet fairly straight ahead. I'm gonna lock in buns of steel. Okay. I'm gonna put my weight on my heels and I'm gonna let my feet spin. That's my foot position. That's your foot position. Other people are gonna turn 10 degrees, be fine. Some people will have their feet straight ahead. I'm jealous, but that's, that's what's appropriate for them. So in that optimized hip position, and I'm gonna get, get back in position here and I'm gonna show you. If I have my feet straight ahead, you keep your eye on my lumbar spine. With my feet straight ahead, can you see where my back starts to move about right there? Mm -hmm. Okay, that's not very much, is it? <laughs> no. Now, I turn my feet out the way I showed on the, the lock and rock. You can go down a lot more. I can maintain a, a, a neutral or stable spine through a much larger range of motion. I'd rather have option B yeah. instead of be forced into option A. So we adjust that foot position. Once we've adjusted the foot position, stood over the bell, we wanna connect our lats to our hips. This is what bridges that upper body to lower body connection so that we're much stronger in our deadlift and much safer in our deadlift and swing. So I'm gonna use, well, yeah. I don't have to. Look at this. So this lat becomes this thoracolumbar fascia, this lat becomes this thoracolumbar fascia, and if I leave my lats out of the equation, I leave half of my body out of the equation. When I tie the lats, thoracolumbar fascia, which become glutes, mm -hmm. when I tie all of that together, I become one piece. I become a much stronger, much more stable unit yeah. for my deadlift and swing. So the way I'm gonna do that is not by bringing the shoulder blades back. Come at me, bro, right? This is, this is beach walk, yeah. right? If I actually want to connect my lats into my deadlift, it's anti-shrug. Just reach down in your pockets. You're going to feel your lats kick on. Yep. That's what I want to do in order to connect lats, hips, all together into my deadlift. Okay? Last piece of the puzzle. 
breathing. If you lean over in your trunk and you go to pick up that bag of soil or that bag of dog food, anybody ever do this? Lean over and go, huh? right? Mm -hmm. That's bracing. We actually do it pretty naturally, uh, especially when we get in those kind of little bit of awkward position and we want to pick up that thing out of the trunk and we have that grunt that happens. That little grunt is bracing. So we're just going to cue it and make it happen in our deadlift. So nice nasal inhale. Now, now make the abs flat, but not drawn in, just tight. If I was going to walk up to you and slap you in the stomach, you'd, you would make your abs tight, right? Yep. Um, so you do that. Now make the abs flat and sniff in. Feel that bubble of pressure? Mm -hmm. Now, you're also going to want to um, pull up the pelvic floor like you're stopping yourself from going to the bathroom. So let's pretend we're at a concert, <laughs> long, long line to get to the bathroom. So you're kind of, you know, making sure that nothing's going to happen. That's, we're going to do that. We're going to make the abs flat. We're going to sniff in. That's going to give us this bubble of intra-abdominal pressure. We're going to take advantage of that, be stronger in our deadlift, stronger in our swing. So over top of the bell, anti-shrug, kick those lats in. Nice little sniff in to brace, hinge, and right there. Now, my job is to push into the ground in order to come to the top. Top the air off, keep those arms connected, set the bell down between the heels again. That is kind of a textbook deadlift, at least the way it looks on me. <laughs> right? Right. Make me 6'4", mm -hmm. give me a short torso, long legs, whatever you know, structural variations are very much out there. Your deadlift might look slightly different. Yeah. The basic blueprint stays the same. Shoulder above hip, hip above knee. Some people, different torso lengths, they're going to be a little more leaned over. Mm -hmm. Some people are going to be a little more upright. It's got to fit the individual, right? So that's the deadlift. Now, I said something really important there that I want to key on. Push into the ground. Okay. Because most people, and you can really hear this when somebody barbell deadlifts, they go down and grab the bar and tink. Yeah. You hear this tink. That's jerking, yanking on the bar. That's not pushing through the ground. So if I get down here and my first move is shoulders, right? Okay, that's me pulling up with my back. Uh, okay. What I want to do is push into the ground and drive with my hips to the top. Gotcha. Very different movement. Yeah. Way more powerful to push through the ground. There's a Russian deadlifter whose name I will not attempt to pronounce who used to say that when he deadlifted, he would push into the ground so hard his feet would burn. So that's what I want you thinking of. I want you to leave one inch deep footprints of your entire foot in the ground when you deadlift. That's how much pressure I want you putting into the ground. Gotcha. So you sink the lats, you sink the breath, you get down there, you push through the ground, come to the top. You want to be able to comfortably perform five to 10 deadlifts, with a bell that is twice as heavy okay. as what you're going to swing. Okay. Because I've been on a force plate 
swinging a 24 kilo bell with two hands, and I can produce about three and a half times body weight eccentric load at the bottom of the swing. So that 53 pounds doesn't weigh 53 pounds. Yeah. It weighs a lot more. So we got to take that into account. Uh, so when we switch to the swing, we've mastered the deadlift. And for the swing, what we're going to do is I'm going to kick that bell just in front of me. I am about a foot length behind the bell. One of the biggest mistakes I see is people step way back and they reach way forward. Uh-oh. <laughs> That's going to, yeah. I'm way overextended. That's kind of like what you're talking about. Too much space in between puts too much stress on your body, on your back, on your shoulders. Absolutely. Yep. Leverage gets involved and all of that stuff. So about a foot <coughs> length behind the ball, behind the bell, we're going to start and I'm going to show you how consistent my setup is. Okay. I'm going to close my eyes. So I'm going to, you can verify for the yep. folks at home. His eyes are closed. I hinge and I reach for the bell. Okay. So my setup is so mechanical, is so consistent that I don't have to look and notice what I did not do. I did not reach for the bell. I hinge and then I reach for the bell and I'm in great position to start my swing. That makes sense. Yeah. It's a, it's, it's a comfortable position. Very Absolutely. Comfortable. Yeah. End scene. <laughs> okay. um, can we just do the hinge reach for the bell again yep it's cool i keep thinking of all this other stuff that this is pertaining to and like you know working with people with pelvic floor dysfunction and you know all that stuff that this pertains to well and doing another one on the goblet squat mm -hmm. especially with pelvic floor dysfunction would be uh, an excellent uh thing to do because yeah. it, as you get down there and you you learn to do it properly, you actually can start to loosen uh, the, the pelvis a little bit and it actually helps with a lot of pelvic floor. That's pretty cool. Yeah. It's, you know, I was reading about Pavel talking about doing it just to stretch your hips out, but I didn't know it would help out with the pelvic floor. That's yep. pretty cool. So you just want me to demo? Yeah. Just, or do you just want me to talk through it? Uh, or just demo? You can talk through it. It's good to have the extra audio anyway. Okay. All right, so to show you how consistent my setup is, I'm going to close my eyes. You can verify for the folks at home, eyes are closed. They're closed. So I am going to hinge and reach for the bell. So I don't need to even look at the bell. And notice that the first thing I did, I didn't reach for the bell. I sat into my hips. So I make sure my hinge is correct, and then I reach forward and grab the bell. And that's going to be a very, it's, it's almost mechanical. You want this super consistent setup because your first rep is your setup. It's not your first rep. Your first rep is your setup. That's, and I said, yes, I said that twice because it's that important. Okay. If I'm inconsistent in my setup, mm -hmm. then I'm going to load myself in unexpected ways. I don't want that. I want to know, especially once I start swinging, I want to know how I'm going to load myself. Right. So we want that super consistent setup. Now, once I've got the setup nailed, I sink my breathing and I hike the bell. What was the first thing we did from standing for our deadlift? Anti-shrug, right? We connected our lats. Mm -hmm. In the swing, <clears throat> since I'm already down in my hinge, I take advantage of the hike and connecting my arms to my ribs to connect my lats to my hips for the swing. Gotcha. So this is my version of the anti-shrug 
to begin my swing. Okay. So I've got my stance, I've got my hinge, I reach for the bell, I sniff in to that bubble of intra-abdominal pressure, I hike, and then I'm gonna stand up. So, okay. Everybody thinks you gotta do sets of 10, sets of 20. Who said that? Maybe I wanna practice one perfect swing at a time. Hinge. Park. 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 Why not practice one perfect rep at a time? Set the foundation for my swing, then start adding reps. See, that makes a lot of sense because I've done the mistake of, you know, it's like I'm not set up right and I'll do a set of 10. And by the end of the 10, I'm feeling it, feeling in a place that I shouldn't feel it. You know, that makes sense. Absolutely. So then once you've set the foundation, you're perfect, you're perfect on your single reps, mm -hmm. add reps. And again, nobody said you had to go from zero to 10, zero to hero, as I like to call it. You can go three reps, seven reps. <gasps> nobody does seven reps. So you can mix and match. Um, for the two-arm swing in particular, big fan of sets of five. Okay. Building towards sets of 10. Occasionally higher rep than that, but that's a pretty experienced practitioner. And what would somebody start out with? You know, if they're just a regular guy or girl, you know, in their you know, 30s, something like that, what would they start out with? So if you have an athletic or strength training background, mm -hmm. uh, guys can probably start somewhere between the 16 to 24 kilo. Okay. Ladies can start somewhere between the 12 and uh, 16 kilo. Okay. So now, like I said, athletic, got a good strength training background, you're probably gonna edge towards the top end of those for the two arm swing in particular. Uh, for things like the get up, goblet squat, you know, two or three bells covers a lot of round. That makes sense. Don't have to have 50 dumbbells. Give me, give me two or three kettlebells, not much I can't get done. That's one I love it. You've said as well that kettlebells are great for apartments because, you know, especially during the pandemic when, you know, nobody has any space and we need to exercise, it's great to just have a couple kettlebells in the corner. You can do pretty much anything with them. Absolutely. You know? I work out at home. It's a sad story. We don't really have to get into all the details, but I've pretty much worked out alone for the last 20 years. I'm just, I don't know. I was always doing weird stuff that nobody else wanted to do. Because uh, especially. Keep up with you. <laughs> <laughs> possibly in some things. Um, but, you know, it really, uh, it really is the apartment dweller solution. And it is that home exercise option that covers so much ground. And to your point, in pandemic times, like, I didn't stress at all. I knew I had my bells and I work at it alone anyway. So, <laughs> you know, just uh, continuing with my kettlebell training was very natural but it does open up a lot of possibilities. Uh, power, conditioning, mobility, loaded mobility. There's, there's so much that you can get done with the bells. You know, so, uh, just as an example, my kids, they play baseball. I have a 13 and a 15 year old. And so I have them doing kettlebell swings to help with their throw, help with their batting, help, just basically help with their power because so much of it comes from your hips, you know? And so they've seen a difference with their swinging, with their throwing and with their running, you know, from doing it. Awesome, and it is, it's just a foundational, athletic power movement that transitions into so many different areas of life. And for a long time, we've had in the Strong First community uh, what we call the what the heck effect. Mm 
God, I remember. Cleaned up for video. The what the heck effect. And what that means is you're doing stuff that isn't related to the thing you're better at. So I have a client right now. He does swings and get-ups, clean press squat. Uh, his pull-up numbers are up. He's not doing pull-ups. So, and his work is easier. Like he, he's uh, actually a, a smith, so he's doing metal work. Oh, and wow. he's moving pieces of metal that he's like, previously this would have been like beating me up and, and been really hard. He's like, I feel great, this is amazing. Awesome. So, you know, pull-up numbers went up. Swings and get-ups. <laughs> and that's one of the things that I love about this is that it's functional strength. You know, it helps yeah. translate over into the regular world. And that's why I really wanted to have you on here just kind of demonstrating how to do this because so many people I talk to you like, well, you know, hey, I recommend doing a kettlebell swing or doing a deadlift or something like that, but they have to do it in the right way. If they don't do it in the right way, then you're just going to injure yourself and, you know, you won't be able to exercise very long. And then you'll blame the bell. Right. Wasn't the bell's fault, right? It, it's an inanimate object. It's just a cannonball <laughs> with a handle on it. So set the foundation. Make sure your leg raise is good. Toe touch is good. Make sure you've got a good plank and that you look like your plank at the top of your deadlift or swing. Set the foundation via learning the deadlift. Sink your breath. Connect the lats. Bring that into your swing. That breath that we synced for the deadlift comes with us into the swing. You should have noticed sharp inhale into that braced midsection during the hinge. Nice little getting air knocked out at the top. That's me getting trapped in between my glutes and abs at the top of the swing, and it actually knocks some air out. So I'm not, <laughs> I don't have this nice relaxed exhale at the top. I'm actually <laughs> forcing air out, making that midsection even tighter, increasing my strength. Yeah, and that's helped stabilize everything. Absolutely. You know, after working with you last time, I started really focusing on my breath and seeing how that just kind of brought everything together. It's really nice to see. Yeah, definitely. A little secret, there's uh, little baroreceptors in your abdomen that are like amplifiers. If we pressurize them, they turn up the volume on our strength. If we don't pressurize them, there's no amplification. So nailing that interabdominal pressure, getting those baroreceptors to respond uh, helps us in a lot of things. That's awesome. Cool. Hey. Great. I appreciate this. I hope you all appreciate this and have learned something. I definitely learned something. You know, Brett, it's always great working with you. I appreciate your time and I hope this helps you have a pain-free day. Thank you. Thank you, Brett. Thank you. Keep swinging. Thank you for listening to Pain-Free Day. Make sure you join Joshua Cohen for another program next Wednesday at 12 noon Pacific Time and 3 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Health & Wellness Channel. Now, go enjoy your pain-free day.